More skeletons in the closet, but will the Missouri Senate frontrunner exit the race? Is that year-long spat over police funding now over in Kansas City? And clumping down on Airbnb after a murder at this $600 a night home in Overland Park, is the city ready to ban short-term rentals? This just really highlighted the idea of what can happen. Kansas greenlighting a new parent's bill of rights. Your children will not have the amazing teachers that are working in our public schools today. And pushing forward with a ban on transgender athletes in girls' sports. Women deserve a fair playing field. Basically what we're talking about is boys and girls playing kickball in kindergarten are going to be at risk of forced into general inspections. Those headlines are the rest of the week's big local stories and newsmakers straight ahead. Week in Review is made possible through the generous support of AARP Dave, Kansas City. RSM, Dave and Jamie Cummings, Bob and Marlise Gorley, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Welcome, I'm Nick Haynes. Even with Marsh Madness on your TV screens, we are thrilled you picked us this half hour. We're promising just as much drama, hopefully less dribbling, but even more slam dunks as we pick apart our week's most impactful, confusing and befuddling news stories. On a mission to keep you informed, 41 News anchor and reporter Dia Wall joining us from across town at the studios of KMBC 9 News, Michael Mahoney, keeping track of our local news from behind a microphone at KCMO Talk Radio, Pete Mundo, and inside a plastic bag at the bottom of your driveway, Dave Helling of your Kansas City Star. Now, he resigned from office amid sordid allegations of sexual misconduct and blackmail. Now, could new allegations force former Missouri Governor Eric Greitens out of the race to become Missouri's next United States Senator? Greitens' ex-wife is claiming that her former husband was physically abusive to her and their kids. Now, in a child custody battle, Sheila Greitens alleges her ex-husband confiscated her cell phone wallet and keys so she couldn't even call for help or leave the home. She says she was afraid for the family's safety and recounts how Greitens once hit their three-year-old across the face with his fist and yanked him around by his hair. Now, Greitens has been quick to label accusations against him as politically motivated. So how does he respond to these allegations from someone, dear, who perhaps knows him better than anyone, the woman he married? Oh, I think we saw. Um, if you just read the first statement, the first sentence of that statement, um, it's pretty appalling. Um, I do think we have to issue this qualifier, right? They're in a custody battle for their children. So a lot of things get said. None of this has been independently validated or verified by law enforcement or anything like that. But no, it's not going to stop him. I mean, Eric Greitens, I don't know if people remember the last round of accusations of him taking illicit photos of a hairdresser he was having an affair with and all kinds of details that are not appropriate for the Weekend Review audience. But he's not going to stop. He's going to have to be forced out of the race. The thing that I think the Republican Party is going to have to contend with, he's very popular. People like him a lot. Some of Greitens' biggest opponents, by the way, in the U.S. Senate race say he has no choice but to withdraw. Real men never abuse women and children, period. End of story. It's time for Eric to get out of the Senate race and to get professional help. 
Another rival, Eric Schmidt-Pete, went further, calling Greitens a predator. The state's junior senator, Josh Hawley, said Greitens belongs in handcuffs. Meanwhile, the man Greitens would replace in Washington, Roy Blunt, is a little more cautious, saying the former Missouri governor shouldn't be in the Senate race if the allegations are true. But is there any evidence that national Republican players, including President Trump's circle, are now putting pressure on Greitens to quit? Well, there is, Nick. For the first time, uh, the president spoke and released a statement on this race. And that came down uh, surprisingly on Wednesday afternoon when he said to uh, Missouri voters in a statement released by Kellyanne Conway, who is Billy Long's top advisor in the Missouri Senate race, take a look at Billy Long. He said it was not an endorsement, but it was the first time he had put something out like this about the Missouri U.S. Senate race. And this comes two weeks after Politico had a report that said the former president was looking at endorsing Eric Greitens. So to me, if nothing else, this was a way for the former president to at least take a step back from the Greitens reports and say, hey, Missouri, you've got a lot of solid options here to look at um, beyond Eric Greitens. And that's really what the bigger message was to me uh, from the 45th president. Dia mentioned, Michael Mahoney, that uh, Eric Greitens is popular. Well, he's the front runner in the race. The last poll shows him seven points ahead of Eric Schmidt, his, his leading rival. Almost twice as much support as, as Vicky Hartzler in this race. But so uh, if a sizable proportion of Republican voters right now have discounted all of those allegations made against him when he resigned back in 2018, why would they abandon him now? There's a couple of reasons behind that. That poll was taken back in late February. We're obviously now four weeks beyond that and with the new allegations out there. Eric Greitens is not going to drop out of this race unless, unless his uh, uh, campaign money dries up. I think that's very, very unlikely. For any other normal politician, uh, it would be a uh, death sentence, but not in this case. I mean, I think that we've seen politics change. Remember, we all thought Todd Aiken was going to get out of the Senate race and did not. Uh, uh, under that similar approach, I think Eric Greitens stays in. Yeah. Do you see it that way, Pete? Yeah, he's he's not going to get out. Um, and I do, you know, I do question how, how popular he is. We've seen these polls come out showing him at 30%. How much of that is the fact that, you know, name ID is there right now. It's still relatively early in the process. People know him. Um, but I think that, you know, the Greitens question is always, what's the ceiling, right? Is it 25, 30, 35? Uh, but there is a ceiling there. Who benefited the most from the news this week, Dave? Maybe Vicki Hartzler. I mean, again, I've suggested for some time that she has a real path to this nomination. She's a woman. She was pretty aggressive about denouncing Eric Greitens. But look, here's the problem. The filing deadline is next Tuesday, Nick. And I think there is general agreement in the Republican Party in Missouri that there are too many candidates, that uh, the, the eventual winner, whoever it is, is going to win with 22 or 23 percent of the vote. And they are really trying to narrow the field. Now, does that mean Greitens gets out or does that mean they convince David Schatz or Billy Long or someone else uh, to, to uh, withdraw their, uh, their filing? That question has not been answered. I'm very interested to see how Greitens is going to try to pivot, because I think people were willing to kind of negotiate through an affair and maybe some less than stellar moral behavior. But I think it's going to be a tough sell in the state of Missouri if these allegations are found to be even remotely credible that Sheena Greitens is putting out there. Michael. I'll tell you how I think he's going to pivot on this, and that is that he is going to launch a major counterattack against everybody who he believes are his enemies. In fact, his wife uh, in her affidavit says that he called Sheena Greitens an enemy of, of him. And in this counterattack, he is going to try to... Uh, 
draw the connection even tighter between Republican minority leader Mitch McConnell being behind all this because he fears Greitens because Greitens does not want him to be the next leader of the Republicans in the Senate. And I also look for this campaign, which I believe was going to get very nasty anyway, to escalate in its nastiness immediately. And one of the biggest winners could also be the Democratic candidates in this race, Pete Mundo, because doesn't this give them a better shot of winning the seat now? Well, I, I think that any Democratic money is going to hang on tight to see who wins in, in August in the primary, because we know where the state's at right now. You know, it's a 15-point uh, edge for Republicans across the state. We saw that last election. If Crichton's gets the nomination, then the money floodgates may open for whoever the Democratic nominee is. Sorry to disagree here. Uh, I don't think that the uh, National Democratic Party is going to significantly invest in the Missouri race, no matter who the Republican nominee is. And this is because they have other serious fish to fry. The Missouri, flippin' Missouri is a long shot under the best of circumstances, and they're going to take a look at the uh, battlefield, lay out a strategy, and one of the last places they're going to consider is going to be Missouri. Now, some issues never seem to go away. One is COVID, another is talk of a downtown ballpark. But is this the week we can finally stop talking about defunding the police in Kansas City after a year-long spat. The mayor and city council this week voting to give nearly uh, 70 million more dollars to the men and women in blue. And as we record this show this half hour, it looks like Mayor Lucas is walking back that plan to withhold tens of millions of dollars in a special account that the city controlled. What happened? Dave Helling, did the mayor decide having the police mad at you is not a good way to start his re-election campaign? Yes, yes, he caved in completely. <laughs> he surrendered, he gave up, he set the cause back of local control for decades because he first brought up this issue, Nick, as you know, last May. And then when it came time under the judge's order to actually make it work, uh, he, he caved in to the uh, police chief and to the police board and any attempt to locally control police has died. Pete, you had the police chief on your program this week, uh, Rick Smith, and he was lamenting how he, his department has been affected by this whole funding issue, that he's lost so many officers, 88 more officers in this. Is, he, is Rick Smith happy with that? Yeah, I mean, he's, he seemed uh, uh, pretty pleased, and he was pretty complimentary of the mayor uh, this week in these negotiations. And, you know, the mayor did have some nice things to say about the uh, police chief as well this week in our conversation with him. So I don't think either guy got exactly what they wanted here. I mean, the notion... Uh, that, that, you know, Lucas certainly didn't get what he wanted based on where he was last year. And the idea that the chief got everything he wanted, I, I also don't think to be the case. Um, now, you know, they got to use that money. They got to hire new officers. That's a, a hard thing to do for anybody right now to find employees. I mean, heck, we got to find some salespeople here uh, for us. So it's hard to hire right now. Never mind for, for our jobs that you put your life on the line about. Pete is wrong as anyone from Villanova would be uh, during ah. the uh, basketball tournament. So I just thought I'd throw that in there. Uh, as a Creighton graduate, uh, the chief got everything he wanted. There's no teeth in this proposal from the mayor, no clawback. The chief can go out tomorrow and buy roses for every member of the force, and, and there is no recourse for City Hall to change things. And let me just make this prediction. They will hire 88 officers. They will lose more than 88 officers through attrition. And when we come back around next year, they will have added net, no officers to the force, but... They will ask for another $4 million to hire more officers because we don't want to defund the police. It's really a game the department is playing. And again, the mayor uh, tried to break it a year ago and then caved completely uh, this year. It's the biggest shell game, right? 
Yes. If I hear defund the police in Kansas City one more time, I'm going to scratch my eyes out. I went back and looked at some KSHB reporting. The 2020 to 2021 fiscal year, the budget was 232 million. Do you know what it is right now? They just wanted to approve 269. There is no, I'm sorry, I'm slapping on the table. There's no defund. Let's stop using that language. Pete, if Dave is right that the police chief got everything he wanted, did he announce on your show that he's ready now to finally retire and he's going to hang up his hat this week? He did not, uh, but we've heard that it is going to be once the budget process is complete and is wrapped up. So I would imagine something on that front uh, would be imminent. Michael, if Pete is right and, and now the police chief is happy, uh, does that mean that uh, the lawmakers in Jefferson City are now going to also back away from their plan to uh, add money to the police department budget in, in Kansas City? No, they're not going to back away. And the point I wanted to make here um, what was that now that this budget deal is done, let's kick the can forward on this story. And the selection of a new police chief is now center stage. And it begins and it began Friday with uh, uh, with decisions being made by the police department with regard to when Rick Smith officially steps down, who will uh, probably replace him as the acting chief of police for Kansas City. That now moves forward as the as the story. By the way, something that Dia mentioned earlier about the challenge of getting police officers, that's true all across the metro. We see even in Johnson County yes, from Overland Park, Prairie Village, we have vacancies up to four times higher than even before the pandemic. If it's tough to recruit police officers during this polarizing time, what about teachers? Your children will not have the amazing teachers that are working in our public schools today because those people will be gone in the next few years. Senate greenlighting a parent's bill of rights that will require schools to make available to parents every lesson plan, test, book list, magazine article, or handout that teachers provide their students. Governor Laura Kelly calls it the Teacher Demoralization Act. Supporters say it's about transparency. The parents deserve to know what their children are being taught. But what effect will it have on teachers, dear? Teachers are tired. Okay, as the daughter of a teacher, let me just back up. That information in most districts is already available. You can check your kids' grades. You can see what the reading list is. You can read the books alongside your kids. Here's my frustration. Once again, we're playing this game of smoke and mirrors. Ooh, the big bad educators are trying to teach our children things we don't want them to know about. I would ask all of these parents who are up in arms about some perceived or conjured up threat. Tell me the last school board meeting you've been to. When was the last time you logged on to the portal to see what your kids are reading and what they're learning in class? There's been no game to try to hide what our children are learning. And so for me, the, the challenge that I have is we're making teachers out to be the enemies here when really we need to be at our school boards advocating for the curriculum way, way, way before we get to this point. It's just insanity. It is an issue that's gaining resonance, not just here, of course, but across the country, Michael Mahoney. And Governor um, Kelly, even though she says, you know, this is a demoralization act for teachers, she hasn't said she's going to veto this measure. Is she feeling the squeeze this election year, too, because she's seeking re-election in November, that this may not be the issue that she wants to die on? Um, yeah, she's feeling the squeeze on it because it is an election year, and the whole idea of transparency in the uh, classroom has now become one of the major Republican talking points, not just in Kansas, but throughout the country. And this started with uh, the successful uh, uh, run for uh, Glenn Youngkin in Virginia when he won the governorship uh, back in, uh, in November. This is going to be a campaign issue.
uh, Dia mentions that a lot of that information is available to parents now. If you want to know what types of articles are being taught in the school or, uh, or anything else, the curriculum, you can ask for it now, Pete. So is this measure, this Parents' Bill of Rights, more symbolic than substantive? What, what really changes? It is more uh, symbolic in nature. There's no doubt about it. I mean, parents uh, who want to have access to their kids' things, and to both my colleagues' points, this really did start around COVID, right? Kids started coming home, and parents maybe saw some things. Not that it was widespread, but, you know, they had some questions about things that kids were bringing home they were seeing they didn't like. That led to uh, grassroots movements on things like school board meetings that engaged people, and that kind of led us to this point uh, today. Um, and I will add as well, as someone who is uh, the son of someone who was a teacher, you know, you, you bring this up and you say, okay, if there's nothing to be worried about, you know, as, as someone who's sending your kid to a public school, there's nothing to hide, then this is not a big deal. I don't know why it's, it's demoralizing in any way, shape or form to say, hey, here's what your kid's learning this week. I mean, this, this seems like a pretty basic opportunity for everyone to be on the same page. The point, Pete, there is that, as Dia indicated, a lot of that information exists right now. It's already there. Now, the Parents' Bill of Rights, by the way, is not still a, a slam dunk. It did not pass the Senate with a veto-proof majority, so it's possible that Governor Laura Kelly can still nix the measure. She wouldn't have that luxury, though, on another big issue that's now one step away from landing on her desk, and that's a ban on transgender athletes from competing in girls' sports. Either you believe the science of anatomy and physiology that boys and girls are different, or you don't. Women deserve a fair playing field for competition, something the NCAA has continually denied them. Basically what we're talking about is boys and girls playing kickball in kindergarten are going to be at risk of forced into genital inspections. I worry about how he's going to interpret bills that tell him he's not a human, that he's less than because he identifies differently than the sex organs he was assigned at birth. The bill, which passed the Senate this week with a veto-proof majority, would affect transgender students from kindergarten through college. So what practical effect will this bill have if it passes? Capturing national attention right now is University of Pennsylvania swimmer Leah Thomas, who just made history by becoming the first transgender woman to win an NCAA swimming competition. If Thomas was at KU or K-State, Dave, would she have been blocked from competing? Well, one assumes so if this bill passes, Nick. Uh, but but your bigger question is the practical impact of this kind of legislation. And the answer, of course, it's virtually has no effect on 99.9% .9 of the people in this state or any other state. Uh, it has surfaced as a political issue for a very, very small uh, subsection of the electorate, and they care a lot about it. And that's why this kind of thing comes up. OK, Dave, you mentioned that this only affects a small portion of the population. That's true. However, it does have resonance. 62% of uh, Americans in a Gallup poll, the latest poll on this, uh, says they only believe that trans athletes should be permitted to play on teams that align with their sex assigned at birth. And before we look at that just as a partisan issue, four out of ten Democrats feel the same way about this. Yeah, uh, there is a... Uh sense of fairness here. Uh, what I wanted to note is that this uh, th this whole issue about uh, transgender sports has also become an issue in the Missouri Senate race. And Vicki Hartzler has been kicked off Twitter because she's uh, advocating for a ban on transgender athletes. She was kicked off several weeks ago. She remains kicked off Twitter as she campaigned. What happens now? I mean, is this just going to play out in the courts for months and months and linger on for the rest of the year, dear? Will we have companies now wanting to boycott Kansas? Wouldn't it be ironic if that new company wanting to come to Kansas with a billion dollars incentive says, oh, no, we're not going to come now uh, because you just passed a transgender uh, ban on uh, athletes?
there are a few more steps and hurdles that it has to clear. To, to counterpoint, nobody's going to be doing genitals checks of children in schools, right? That's just completely irresponsible and a flat out lie. That's not going to happen. But when it does come to college athletes, scholarships, um, what happens for the Olympics, for example, it is going to be interesting to see how we navigate this, not only as a country, but as a world. So. And what happens in Kansas? Uh, will the NCAA, Pete, then decide they're not going to do any competitions in Kansas any longer? I know Missouri is also looking at a ban. They're not far enough along at this point in time. But will you have the NCAA say, we're not going to come to Missouri any longer? Perhaps that new Facebook uh, data center coming to the Northland, Facebook parent company will say they're not going to come there uh, if this bill is passed. It could. I mean, that's what scared off South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem from a similar bill uh, several months ago. The NCAA did make some threats and she kind of backed off and certainly her base was uh, not thrilled with that decision. Already after a multiple shooting at Olathe East High School, Kansas lawmakers have been debating whether to ban so-called ghost guns, the weapon used in that attack. Now after a murder at a $600 a night Airbnb in Southern Overland Park, are city leaders ready to ban on short-term rental providers. You never want to think, a, you know, someone's going to get killed. Um, but this just really highlighted the idea of what can happen when you have these short-term rentals near you. We're going to have a discussion about what is the right rules and regulations for short-term rentals. It cannot be that you don't live in that place. You buy a place and you essentially run a motel there. A spate of violent episodes around the country has prompted a number of cities to ban short-term rentals. New York State doesn't permit homeowners to rent out their properties for less than 30 days if the owner is not on site. Here in the metro, the city of Leewood bans all Airbnb and Verbo rentals. Is Overland Park about to join them? Pete, you had the mayor of Overland Park on your program this week. Is he ready for a ban? Uh, he wouldn't commit to, you know, the same thing Leewood's got. But clearly there is consensus on the city council in Overland Park that something needs to be done. It's that fine line between homeowners, private, you know, property rights versus what's in the best interest of a community or municipality. Something will be done. There's no doubt about it. More restrictions are coming on this issue across Overland Park. How far they go, how much they do, uh, he wouldn't commit to, he wouldn't really comment on, but we'll see what happens uh, when they meet here in about a week and a half. In Kansas City, Missouri, Dave, several years ago, the city imposed new restrictions uh, that sort of tighten the rules governing Airbnbs and what they can do and VRBOs. And then I saw the pitch did a follow-up article and said there was very little enforcement. They simply didn't have the staff to enforce the rules. Right, and of course, knowing uh, precisely who is and isn't renting uh, their houses out is very difficult for any municipality. It would presumably be for Overland Park as well, but this is a real issue. I mean, um, the problem, of course, is not renting homes because you're you know, visiting from Denver and want to stay in someplace in Kansas City. It's about people renting these houses out for weekend parties and that type of thing, which is apparently what happened in Overland Park. You know, and how much do these rules and regulations actually work now? Go online and you can see dozens of sites promising to give you the secrets on how you can get around any of these city rules. Do you have a property that you want to make a short-term rental, but some, the HOA or the condo association or someone is telling you that you are not allowed to do this? I'm going to tell you how. Even if you put rules in place, aren't many property owners, dear, going to fly under the radar screen and not follow the rules? Yeah, for the exact reason Dave just mentioned, right? I mean, code enforcement in general in every city in the metro um, is swamped with the normal things that they have to address on a day-to-day -day basis. And so a lot of these companies have tried to put in provisions, homeowners do, like no parties, but ultimately who's showing up? 
to make sure that that is indeed the case. Um, I'm really interested to see how it's going to play out in Overland Park because I'm sure you guys have seen, uh, they don't even like apartment complexes in a lot of these neighborhoods, let alone a short-term rental. And can I just say quickly, the reason you don't have code inspectors in Kansas City, Missouri, is because all of your money is going to the police department and the fire department. You don't have any money left for anything else. That's very true and very important in this country. And when you put a program like this together every week, you can't get to every story grabbing the headlines. What was the big local story we missed? March Madness continues to distract most Kansas Cityans, and Chiefs fans gobsmacked as the team's fastest player heads for the exit doors. Tyreek Hill traded to the Dolphins. Holy in the national spotlight. Is it your view that society is too hard on sex offenders? With just a week before candidates have to file for office, still no congressional map in Missouri. More walkouts at Starbucks stores in Kansas City, a fourth metro area location now trying to unionize. Fed up with high gas prices? Missouri may have your back. Lawmakers pushing forward with a gas tax holiday. Could save you as much as 20 cents a gallon. And that didn't take long. Vandals damaging Kansas City's new heart sculptures. You pick one of those stories, Pete, or something completely different? Well, when you spend a show, Nick, uh, talking about uh, spousal abuse allegations and uh, how to stop homicides and defining men and women, you got to lighten it up a little bit. Uh, it's March Madness time. Villanova Wildcats getting ready for Sweet 16, hopefully Elite Eight. And uh, we're ready to rock. So let's go uh, March Madness. Good weekend, hopefully, for KU ahead as well. And see how it plays out. We all got to, you know, take a breather once in a while. Dear. No, my horn frogs were robbed. So I'm <laughs> anti-March Madness. Go TCU. <laughs> Uh, my story for the week is actually not local, but um, as a black woman, I can't tell you what it what it meant to see Katanji Brown Jackson in her confirmation hearings this week. Um, you look at a woman who really represents the best of the American justice system, and I thought she was composed. I thought she handled herself well, and I think she would be uh, really historic for this country. And it did have a local connection because you did have Missouri Senator Josh Hawley do a lot of interrogation of her. Michael Mahoney. <laughs> This gas tax holiday story is something to watch because uh, Missouri is in the process of trying to incrementally increase its gas tax over the next five years. And a gas tax holiday, which would be very popular with motorists, would, uh, would complicate that. Dave. Last week, quietly, the Kansas City Royals met for two hours with uh, Mayor Quentin Lucas. The subject was downtown baseball. Uh, that uh, project is moving forward at all deliberate speed. That really was quiet. And on that, we will say our week has been reviewed, courtesy of Dear Wall from 41 News, Michael Mahoney from Channel 9, 6 to 10 weekdays on KCMO Talk Radio, Pete Mundo and Dave Helling of your Kansas City Star. We'll see you next Friday night when our show falls on April Fool's Day. And that's no joke. We'll see you then. Oh, and by the way, from all of us here at Kansas City BBS, be well, keep calm and carry on.